0: Welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and uh, I want to give you some thoughts on the news. And we're going to highlight the stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to phone a friend. This time we're going to call Marlo Oaks. Marlo Oaks is somebody I'm sure you haven't heard of because he's the state treasurer for the state of Utah. And there's no possible way you're going to know who this person is except Mrs. Marlo Oaks. Um, but he's tackling an issue that's going to affect every single American and it's a topic that you really need to know out about it's called esGs environmental social governance It is affecting how we do things, what we're talking about, how how companies are governed, how money flows, and so even though you're thinking, I've never heard of that, Jason, or maybe yeah, I heard about it, but I don't know nothing about it. This guy knows more about ESGs and is taking on these big woke companies and these big woke fund managers and the flow of billions of dollars. And you really I, I'm fascinated to have this discussion with him because I want people to understand, have a deeper appreciation of what this environmental social governance scheme is all about. And um, so we're going to call up Marlo Oaks and, and have that discussion. So a lot happening in the news. I obviously I cannot be more proud of the progress that of what's going on in Ukraine. The idea that Russia has not been able to be victorious in taking over that, that whole country in this long period of time is just absolutely stunning. That's because of perseverance. It's because of people care. There are fights going on neighborhood by neighborhood. And I can, I'd can i like to say I can imagine, but I don't think I can imagine what it would be like if somebody was by force with no provocation was coming to take over our country, our town, and my home. And these people don't even necessarily have the training, but they have the fortitude. They don't necessarily have the weapons, but they've got the fortitude it is absolutely stunning what's going on there and i i i I don't want people to get so complacent that we forget about what's going on but i also want to highlight that there are other places like ethiopia and the democratic republic of the congo where there are major conflicts with loss of life by the tens of thousands millions of people displaced You know, a lot of the cameras are moving and and focused on a European country because they can and because of the good work Elon Musk did in creating Starlink so that people can continue to broadcast uh, and communicate uh, via the Internet because of an innovative satellite solution to giving access to Internet products. But you don't see that in Africa. And there's far too much conflict there. I wish the news media as a whole would be able to highlight and be able to shed light on that. And, you know, the United States, we can't go fix everything everywhere. I get that. But given the resources and our tenacity and our smarts and our logistics and our weapons capabilities and everything else, Oh, i wish we could do more there and i don't understand why we pour billions of dollars into the united nations because these people seem to be nowhere on places where there are truly conflicts and um it does bother me that that continues to continues to be the case the other thing that i really hope we understand is with this whole abortion thing i You've heard a a long chorus of people talking about how wrong it is that the Supreme Court, um, somebody leaked a draft of an opinion. You know, the beauty of the system here is with the nine justices, they need to be able to have a dialogue. They need to be able to have a draft and debate and challenge each other and have um, a perfection in what they end up writing. And the consequence of a leak is the distrust, the inability to communicate. It goes far beyond Roe versus Wade in this one particular ruling. But what I worry about is that it will have a chilling effect on the court and their ability to actually communicate prior to the issuance of something that will govern the way we operate as a nation, sometimes in perpetuity forevermore, or sometimes for decades, depending on what sort of precedents or or what specific language is given by those justices? So I, I, I cannot say enough about the need and the, the compelling need for the court via the marshal to be able to go and root this out. Now, one of the things I was very surprised about, I did not know, I did not know. Back in the day, we were actually having some security breaches uh, with the Secret Service. And I dove in and did an investigation with Elijah Cummings in a very bipartisan way. Shocked to find out what we learned. And we had all sorts of um, public hearings, very private uh, classified briefings. Really spent a lot of time on making sure that the Secret Service was doing what it was supposed to do. Because, quite frankly, they hadn't had much oversight in a long time. We went through a couple different directors of the Secret Service, shocked to find what we had, what we found. But I'm just telling you that as a as a precursor to say, one of the concerns that we had was how does the court operate? And Elijah Cummings and I at one point went over and met with the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, uh, Justice Roberts, and we met with the Chief Justice and we talked about the need to have now. Uh, the security of the court improved. Um, this was done in the context of what was going on with Anthony Scalia. When Justice Scalia uh, lost his life, um, there were, and I got to be careful because a lot of this is classified, but there were a lot of things that were normal operating procedure for the court that I think most people would be shocked by. I was shocked by it. Okay? So, The change in trajectory of the nation can hinge on the loss of life of one justice or another because there is a huge need to keep everybody alive at this point. The second thing that I was very surprised, and again, I'm kind of teasing what I talked about with Justice Roberts, but I think he implemented some of the changes and we're about to find out if he implemented some of the changes. But the other thing that I learned along the way, I was talking to a friend of mine. His name was Steve Sargent. Uh, He's an attorney in in Salt Lake City now. He's recommended to me by Mike Lee. When I had left Congress, I needed an attorney, just put together a little LLC and do some little legal work. So I said, Mike, do you have any uh, suggestions? And he recommended Steve Sargent. Well, Steve Sargent used to be a clerk for Justice Rehnquist. And so I had a discussion with him once a long time ago. I hope he doesn't mind my sharing this. I don't, I don't think he will. Where I was talking about, wow, that's uh, fascinating. be a clerk for a Supreme Court justice, the chief justice. And I said, how many clerks were there? So think about that. I mean, some of you legal eagles may know what the answer to this is. But I was shocked to learn how many clerks work for a Supreme Court justice. And you know what the answer is? Well, for Chief Justice Rehnquist... It was three, and I think most of them have four. So the universe of people that are going to be touching or have access to a draft is really going to be a small number. There are probably some um, assistants that are also engaged, maybe a, a scheduler and a personal assistant, maybe an office manager. But the point is... It's not as if each justice has 100 clerks working for him, which was kind of my perception. I just thought, wow, biggest, you know, a senator has all kinds of staff. When I was on the oversight staff, we had 60 people working. So how many people would, would a Supreme Court justice have? Three or four, plus maybe another staff person or two. I mean, there's the IT people. I, I The point is the universe is going to be very very small. I don't know that the marshal has the technical capability of rooting this out. Maybe that the FBI has to be brought in, but I think the court will err to its own fault in wanting to bring in other types of law enforcement. We'll see where this goes, but they need to root this out so it doesn't happen again. And we don't have that chilling effect on the court in its ability to communicate. That's my hot take on the news. All right, now it's signed to. Bring on the stupid, because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And all I can do is highlight the stupidness that continues to come out of Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. This sounds like a lover's quarrel and spat that... What a mess. What an absolute cluster. It's something that uh, is salacious and consequently gets a lot of time and attention. But you know what? This is where sometimes we spend too much time on the personal lives of entertainers. I don't care what form of entertainment, but um, I I recognize there's a whole industry around this. And and it kind of gets to the point of stupid when you have a group of people who are airing out all their laundry. To what effect? To what end? There seems to be a whole lot of crazy going on. And I just want to shortly say... It just seems like there's a whole lot of stupid. All right, so I want to get to this interview with Marlo Oaks. Again, he's the Utah State Treasurer. We're going to talk about environmental social governance, and it does affect all of us. So stay with us through this, because I think he'll do a really good job of explaining it and why it's so imperative to our financial futures and our ability as a nation to to do things Um and live up to the fiduciary responsibility that these companies have if we make an investment or become a shareholder. So, should be interesting. Let's dial up Marlo Oaks. Hello, Marlo. Hey, this is uh, Jason Chaffetz. Uh, thanks for joining me on the Jason in the House podcast. Hey, Jason, how are you? Well, listen, hey, thanks so much for joining us. We're talking to Marlo Oaks, who's a, uh, the state treasurer for the state of Utah. And I find him to be just a fascinating individual. Being in Utah, look, I was a congressman in Utah. We got mutual friends. I work with this person named Jennifer Scott, who's uh, spent a lot of time with you and and I'm actually, I've been working on a book. Uh, I got a fourth book that's coming out. Not here to reveal everything yet. But one of the things we started to, to, to dive into were these so-called ESGs. And you're really kind of the leading authority on ESGs and how they're being used. And, and the state of Utah did something really interesting. But let's go back to the basics because... My guess is a lot of people don't know what these are and how they're being used and what's going on with them. So, first of all, welcome, Marlo. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And, it's a And we'll go me. back. Yeah, we can go back to your history and all that. But I want to get right after ESGs and explain to people what it is and what's going on. How do you explain it to somebody who's maybe heard of it but really not sure what it is?
1: Yeah, so really ESG originates in the investment world. So among investment managers um, and investors that are concerned about different issues, E E, E stands for environmental, S is social, G is governance. You can think of it as uh, environmental, social justice, corporate behavior, Um, it's a way to rate companies or provide some quantitative indication of how a company is doing in these different areas. Um, and as I looked at it, um, what struck me was how political it was. And the reason that I say that is that there's really two major areas Of subjectivity. Number one is who's determining what the ESG factors are. And number two, who's deciding what the correct answer is to those ESG factors. So, for example, um, British Petroleum, is it uh, negative because they're uh, a fossil fuel company or they're, you know, a, a big oil company? Or are they positive because they're doing research to find solutions or alternatives to um, fossil fuel, right? Um, Who's determining that? Um, And so it is fundamentally a political rating.
0: Now, why is this important? Let's go back. What do these ratings do? I mean, companies have a fiduciary responsibility to make money, right? I mean, if you're a shareholder,
1: you want to get a return on your investment. That's right. Um, And that's critical because that's really the basis of our corporate law. Is the fiduciary standard for a corporation is to um, maximize shareholder value. It's um, you know based on that shareholder supremacy, and if that changes, then uh, then then that fiduciary standard is completely different. Um, today, though, it's very important to remember that that a corporation is there to make a return and they do that by providing a good or service that has value to society and so the corporation is there to serve society um and they do that by by maximizing shareholder value uh, and they can't do that if they're not providing a good or service that is in demand by society that somehow benefits society so I think that's really important to understand um, and part of this uh, usage of ESG is is a focus on political issues to really drive uh, political political outcomes so if you're focused on um, you know climate change for example uh, and, and you're worried about, Climate risk. Then the ESG score is is uh, you know supposed to be used to to provide provide information for investors so that they can, if they're concerned about the environment, um, they have the information that they need to to determine if they want to invest in a particular company or not. Which sounds uh, positive and and wonderful, um, but you really have to look at uh the history of uh, of ESG and put it in context so traditionally there's been two other kinds of value-based investment strategies one is socially responsible investing and that's been around for centuries here in the United States it was religious organizations that uh, really started and uh, with this kind of investment. Um, strategy. And that was to avoid companies that they didn't want to participate in that were doing something objectionable or or something that was sort of against their values. And so they would avoid investing in those companies uh, with uh, the other side of that is impact investing. That's a little bit newer, and and that's where investors are seeking to find companies that are providing a solution to a problem that they're concerned about. So, if you're concerned about cancer as an investor, maybe you're and you're an impact investor, you would look for companies that are providing uh, solutions or have potential solutions. For example, therapies or or other um, cures for cancer, uh, and you would back those companies. Um, and so it's, it's really about innovation. ESG is very different. Um, in the case of SRI and, and uh, impact investing, uh, those strategies respect the capital markets. They don't try to change companies. They don't try to change the capital markets. But ESG does. ESG, in, in order to drive a political agenda, you have to have power uh, in the capital markets. And that means having a lot of money to drive uh, an outcome. And so that's what we're seeing with ESG is, is this drive to get a lot of entities on board that have capital uh, to cut off, for example, capital to the fossil fuel industry. The only way you can do that is, is by getting a lot of people to think the same way you do um, and that's uh and that's fundamentally a different kind of strategy that alters our free market capitalist system. Uh we don't have free market capitalism today in the United States. Um and it's it's different because of that coercive element uh that that is at the heart of ESG. And that's why it's so problematic.
0: Yeah, and so you know, there have been uh you know, Elizabeth Warren, you have some other political players, uh, Senator Markey from, from, uh, also from Massachusetts, AOC, others who really want to drive home a, a political narrative that is so focused, as John Kerry would say, on, on climate change. But if they were to try to pursue the Green New Deal, it would go nowhere in Congress because it doesn't have broad political su- support. I think, look, I'm a conservative. This is just me talking about this issue. I, I'm i a conservative. I, I want to preserve. I, I want to make sure that we're best utilizing our resources. And, and, of course, what you throw in the air and in the water has an effect on our, our lives. I get that. But this approach is so far to the extreme at the exclusion of what actually works and how people make their living and, get to school and get to work and everything else that's been my concern so here comes uh marlo oaks he he prevails and comes along and becomes the state treasurer but your background is such that you really do kind of understand this explain to us what you taught in the position it's taken is doing that is different maybe than the other states because there are major investments done by states whether they be retirement funds or explain that whole world and and why utah took the position it did uh, as it relates to esgs
1: yeah so the state of utah has a very uh, strong track record you know, with our credit rating and that's a that's a key asset of any state is the credit rating of a state because that determines at what Uh, level you can borrow in the capital markets or how expensive or inexpensive it is to borrow in the capital markets. And Utah, since uh, any credit rating that started ratings on the state of Utah, so 1965, I believe, was the first year, and that was S&P. We've been rated AAA since then. Uh, Moody's was 1973, I believe, AAA, uh, Fitch 1992. So we are known as a triple, triple A rated state, the highest rating in the world. Um, and when you apply ESG to any um, organization, whether it's a state or a, a corporation, you're uh, f- politicizing what has previously been a financial decision. And, and so uh, it doesn't matter how Innocuous, maybe those those uh, ratings are initially. It just opens the door uh, to potential future uh, manipulation by outside forces that say, "Oh, Utah isn't um, you know Utah's gun laws are are too lax, or Utah's extracting too much oil, or whatever the political issue is," and so. Uh, from from my perspective and from the perspective of of all of the political leaders in the state that creates a serious problem because no longer are we suddenly in charge of of what really matters when it comes to borrowing money and that is the ability to repay an investor if somebody is Creating a political score on the state of Utah, then uh, then markets can point to that and say, "Oh, Utah shouldn't be given uh, the cheapest rates in the marketplace because they're not doing X, Y, or Z." Um, and so that's why we uh, wrote a letter to S and P and objected to uh, the publication of any ESG. Uh, rating that was any part of the state of Utah, even if it is separate from the credit rating. If it's a material, financially important uh, ESG-related factor, then it will be in the credit rating itself. It should not be called out separately, um, particularly uh w- when you can add a lot of things that aren't material or aren't relevant to um the, the ability of the state to pay pay that back and so it, if, if it's over, relevant put it in the credit rating if i am i oversimplified
0: by saying look what the credit rating should be able to, to look at the s&p's of the world standards and pours, standard and poor standard and of the world should be looking at is the ability of utah to pay back on the borrowing that it takes it should be that simple That's right, right? It's 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 that simple. Absolutely. And so and, and when they decide that politically, hey, we don't like conservatives. See, this is the concern. The heart of the nub here is that you have this this Congress that they could go and act some laws with, but they can never get that passed because right. it is so radical and, and it would expose what they're doing. But what they're doing and why I want to include in my next book is behind the scenes, they can manipulate the people because particularly the banking sector, right? So here's this here's this difficult question, right? We have an energy crisis in this country. We need energy. The return on energy investments is going well. But what does a big bank or a mid or even a small bank or a credit union do when somebody comes in to get so, a loan for their money? Well, if they're going to be evaluated and ranked and, and scored by the Federal Reserve and – and i don't know if there are others based on these social factors that changes the whole equation and so where they maybe would have made an investment or provided some funding right marlo is that yes. they they would have made that loan but they won't because hey it's not politically correct and we're going to get a bad score
1: yeah and and by the way you know th- th- this is being even though this is being pushed by the left let's let's take the other uh, other side and say okay uh the conservatives or republicans um take over congress and and take over the government and 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 they push the pendulum the other side and say, okay, if you want capital now, you need to support pro-life organizations and show that you're doing that. Right. And I'm against that just as much as I am against this because it politicizes the capital markets. My argument is very much to say we need to keep politics out of the capital markets um, because we as Americans don't want our money weaponized against us. It doesn't matter what side you're on.
0: Explain, drill this down to uh, the average person, you know, some people are enjoying the benefits of being into retirement, they're on a fixed income. But behind the scenes, if they're buying into a mutual fund, for instance, or something else, I mean, potentially, the whole theory is here, you may be getting a lower rate of return, that is your income is less, because they've had to do these ESG scores, and they're scared of of investing in something that might be some more lucrative, right?
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, and so you, you have to think about what are uh, what are the benefits um, that you get as an investor by investing in a company? And one of them is a financial return. The other is the, the ability to vote um, on matters that come before a corporation, and in the case of a mutual fund, that's what the mutual fund is generally doing. But then it also gives you a voice with the company, um, separate from even the proxy uh, that that um, you know ballot that you vote on on measures. And 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 what's happening is with people's retirement. They might be with a BlackRock or Vanguard or State Street or one of these other large entities, and if their money is is um, at one of those entities that is a proponent of ESG, even if their money is not being uh, managed uh, with an ESG strategy, mm-hmm. the the voice of that um, that entity could be working. Behind the scenes, to push corporations to adopt policies um, that we don't agree with or they don't agree with, uh, that are political. So, for example, uh, requiring diversity, equity, and inclusion training at corporations, and and pushing you know um, CRT uh, agendas through the corporation, uh, forcing boards to have um, certain um, board member. Demographic profiles and that are not necessarily in the best interest of the corporation. And so it's the power that has been uh, consolidated at the top of the asset management world that has become very dangerous uh, because the voice that has been given to these large investment managers, they are now uh weaponizing against everyday americans and unfortunately a lot of those assets are in everyday uh, americans retirement portfolios
0: I, i hope people understand and can can grasp the threat here because this happens right behind the scenes a proxy vote you think ah you know i got 200 shares of this company well you don't own a percentage point of this company but you know what a big fund, like uh, you know, like a BlackRock, can come in there and throw their weight around a little bit. And next thing you know, they get a board member who then insists on this type of stuff. But as a shareholder, as an investor, you, you're sort of oblivious to it. But your rate of return doesn't necessarily increase. And this is what I'm concerned about: is that I just want people to understand it and be able to see it and be, have exposure to it. But if they're going to try yes. to extrapolate this out and then be able to say, hey, states, and how you do credit and, and banks and credit unions, that's where I think it becomes increasingly dangerous, right? Everybody, what? Yes. I don't know what I don't know. So help me here, Marlo, yeah. in, in understanding what, what it is we're missing.
1: All right. I attended... A, a board meeting not too long ago where some statistics were provided. And I think this is important for people to understand. In 2015, there were 59 private investment funds raised globally in the oil and gas sector that raised $46.6 billion. And in 2021, there were only 11 funds raised, representing $4.6 billion a drop of over 90%, and that was right when um, oil and gas was becoming more profitable. So why did capital stop going to oil and gas when it was becoming more profitable, and why is it not going there today? This represents a massive opportunity uh, in the United States for investors, but yet money isn't going there. Um, And so we have a and this is one reason why we have inflation. You can thank ESG for inflation in the at the gas pump, because if we were putting more money into oil and gas as investors, then we would be uh, producing more. We'd have a greater supply and and the price of, of gasoline would come down in this country. So it is impacting all of us. Uh, ESG is impacting all of us negatively from the inflation associated with not putting enough capital uh, where it would otherwise go if we had free market capitalism. But because of ESG, because of the um, the pledges that uh, some of these asset managers and uh, pension plans have signed on to that says uh, um, the, the climate must be saved and therefore we are going to cut off capital to fossil fuel. Um, it has created a situation where we're having misallocation of capital. We don't have enough capital going where it should go, where it, where it is desperately needed, which is keeping prices up. But it's also people who have not invested in oil and gas have not benefited from uh, the best performing investment sector this year. Uh, And that will potentially continue to be the case um, because oil and gas provide such a great opportunity for investors. So why are uh, pension plans not taking advantage of that? That is their fiduciary obligation uh, is to to make decisions in the best interest of beneficiaries, not political decisions. Um, And that's a huge problem uh, in today's capital markets. Hopefully that's helpful. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be
0: back with more of my conversation with Utah Treasurer Marlo Oaks right after this.
1: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News hourly update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
0: So Utah, under your leadership, took the took the reins and and went out there and kind of pushed back on Standard & Poor's. Got the whole Utah delegation, the governor, others uh, to sign on to that letter. What have you heard from other states? Are they is this even on their radar?
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely on their radar. Um, and I think there's general uh, concern. It's becoming heightened. Um, and, and I think we will continue to see pushback. We will continue to see uh, more people coming out against ESG. It is fundamentally um, anti-American. It's certainly anti-free market capitalism. Um, and, and that's really, if you think about uh, climate change or any other problem that we face, the United States has a very, uh, actually an unprecedented history of innovation. And what what is being forced upon us through ESG is the opposite. It is we are punishing ourselves, saying we're not going uh, to. In the case of fossil fuels, we're not going to put money into fossil fuels, um, but that does not create innovation. We're just punishing ourselves, and there's no other alternative. We don't have any other alternative to go to. Um, so so this talk of getting away from fossil fuels is premature, uh, and the market will take care of that once there is an alternative source of power. But in the meantime, we're cutting off um, uh, this avenue of innovation. We're, pu- we're putting on more regulation. Regulation is the antithesis of innovation if we want to solve a problem if we want to find a solution to climate change we should have less regulation and more innovation more impact investors people that are looking to solve the problem not punish us all for for using fossil fuel when there's no other alternative
0: no very well said and and look if there's somebody who feels like hey you know what i am all about climate change and i want to invest in these types of companies hey that's a whole different equation. There are funds Absolutely. that you can go make those types of investments. But don't punish the other ones who are trying to find innovative clean coal technologies. Or how do we make gas more efficient and, and, and cleaner burning? I mean, look at the, the leaps and bounds and the, the gains that we've had over, over the decades. It's because people make an investment into the future to make something better, cleaner, more efficient,
1: more effective. Right, and and this talk of a transition to net zero—that's what the markets do when there is a when there's a a viable solution or there are viable alternatives. So, for example, natural gas is a great uh, alternative. Our natural gas in the United States burns 40 percent cleaner than Russian natural gas. So if you're really concerned about the climate, let's start there and let's export U.S. natural gas to replace Russian natural gas, help our European allies um, who, who are dependent on Russian natural gas. Well, if we exported U.S. natural gas, that's going to clean up the environment. It will also help our, our allies and it will keep our businesses, our fossil fuel companies um, in business, which is a strategic national security issue. We've got to have these industries that, that, that are really fa- the foundation of, of our economy. And the inflation that we're seeing throughout the economy is is a big result of that is, is from fossil fuels and, and this attack on fossil fuels.
0: Yeah, it really is amazing to me with those who claim to be the most strident of, you know, uh, that really we have to, a, a, everything is about climate change. And then you think, OK, but then like with the Paris Climate Accord and those types of things, no limitations on cleanliness or production levels in China and other places so who's the biggest polluter in the world it's china but are we yeah. going to sign an agreement where they don't have to abide by it it's just ridiculous and then you're right we have as a planet the cleanest natural gas and so the, your comparison versus russia oh we'll it just you know we're fine with them doing it we just don't want to do it i mean that's just that is terribly it, it makes irresponsible no sense it, it does yeah, and,
1: and you can't say you're you're for the environment if, if you're pushing those kinds of policies that, that it's well even like the
0: pipeline right a pipeline is a cleaner more efficient effective way to transport some of these right. petroleum products it actually helps the environment but no right. no gotta shut down the keystone pipeline on day one because i have forbid we actually do that and fracking right. actually high <laughs> fracking actually provided a a safer better way to go out and extract some of this stuff but oh no we wouldn't want to do that so
1: let's have everybody
0: pay double the price at the fuel pump that's what it feels like at least
1: no that's exactly right it's it's a very it's a um it's a losing strategy um and um, congressman john curtis in in the state of utah I think has done some very important work, and and um, and he had indicated. I've heard him say this that if we replaced Russian natural gas and and Chinese coal with U.S. natural gas, we would reduce greenhouse gas emissions by more than what was in the Green New Deal. Um, That's interesting.
0: So, yeah. yeah. But heaven forbid we have that kind of thinking. But this is the concern, is that behind the scenes, there are political levers being played that are forcing, forcing through the, the Federal Reserve, forcing these corporations. You know, one other thing I've got to mention, and I don't know if you've had much of experience of this, but this is also going to be part of our book, by the way. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was set up, Elizabeth Warren was, was the one that was advocating this. It was pushed through the Obama administration. Initial, uh, it initially, it was going to have a budget bigger than the Securities and Exchange Commission. And the, and the idea was that we were going to create the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, to protect Americans, you know, the consumers. What's interesting about this is that they funded this and they set this up not as a government entity that is funded by Congress year after year, but they're funding it through the Federal Reserve and so the limitations that congress has to be able to see it be able to expose it to be able to have hearings and that sort of things is negligible and and yet they have the ability to act like government they're just not accountable to any elected officials they all go through the federal reserve so there'll be more about that in the book i'm not asking you marlo necessarily to 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 talk about that unless you want to
1: Well, I I think there's a a theme here, and that's the weaponization of uh, whether it's government or, uh, in this case, the capital markets, um, with unelected or unaccountable people uh yeah. this very dangerous they um, operate and, in the and we,
0: shadows and nobody knows yeah. who they are and um it's exactly right let's talk a little bit about yeah. marla oaks let's talk a little bit about how you got in this position because you know you, as a little young kid you probably didn't grow up and say hey i want to be the state treasurer i'm not aware of any <laughs> anybody who wants to do that it kind of walk us through the journey and how you ended up there
1: yeah, well, even as an older kid, I never said I'm hi, hi, an hi. adult. <laughs> right? So no, it, it was really, um, I have to, I guess, credit or blame my wife. I I, I would, I'll give her credit uh, because she was involved in, in politics here in the state of Utah when the last treasurer resigned and, and saw the process. And so um, when, when uh, David Damshin resigned and took a a, a role at another um, entity here in the state, she knew the process and and so we called to help the deputy treasurer, who's a friend of mine um, just ask him how could we help with his campaign because of course he's going to run but uh, he said, "I'm not political I'm not going to run. And he said, you ought to run. And I said, there's, I'm not political. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but, um, once I started looking into the role, I realized that it fit my experience really well. Um, and I was hoping that I would find somebody else who had, uh, applied at the time, uh, and that had the right credentials and background. And I just didn't see that. And so, kind of ate at me and so when you got you
0: went to school you went to school what what, kind of walk us through school to being treasurer in a fairly short amount of time here
1: yeah so I I went to school uh, economics at Brigham Young University and got a got a job in Hong Kong actually Um, just thought it would be helpful to have international work experience I'd served a mission in Hong Kong um so the knew the city and then from that experience i i really wanted to get into investment management and so i moved from banking to investment management and spent about 17 and a half years uh, overseeing large institutional investment portfolios and then went back into banking kind of investment banking um, for the last 7 8 years and and then when the opportunity arose for the treasurer's role, I really saw that it was an investment management and investment banking role and and investment management is probably the most difficult part of that job if you don't have the background in it because it's very technical. It's yeah, like so a state why, of
0: Utah. I mean, look, we're a smaller state compared. Give us a size and a range of, I don't know if you can compare us to some of the behemoths like a Texas or California or New York, but um how big a portfolio how many how much money are you managing at any given time?
1: yeah, so within the treasurer's office um directly we have about twenty seven billion dollars and then at the retirement system Utah retirement systems there's about fifty billion and then I also am the chair of the sitfo it's kind of an education portfolio that uh, or helps education, that's about $3.5 So all together with the portfolios that I directly oversee and then sit on the board of, that's, what, $80, 80 billion, something like that. Um, and
0: we're a small state.
1: So you yeah. start
0: to understand the gravity of how big this is. You know, Devin Nunes, that's right. um, people know Devin Nunes, the congressman from California, former congressman from California, for his Intel Committee, but he was on the Ways and Means Committee also. And when I was in Congress, I worked with him to try to um, expose and get the states to tell us what sorts of rate of return do they expect uh, uh, on their retirement systems. And how how well-funded or underfunded are these? You know, Utah, I remember it was uh, State Senator John Valentine and others, really took some uh, really smart moves where they changed our retirement systems so that it's a defined um, contribution, not a defined benefit plan. Right. But a lot of states never did make that transition. And I think one of the greatest financial liabilities we have in this country are these underfunded or unfunded um r- obligations on their retirement systems like for instance in illinois where the number is so large and and they go out and tout to their investors that they're going to get an eight percent return and then they come up with a one and a half percent return uh just using it as an illustration and 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 suddenly they just keep going on but there's no exposure and no accountability how big is well, that yes. problem
1: Overall. Oh, it's a huge problem. Uh, it's it's a it's a significant problem, and and unfortunately, ESG makes it worse because when you politicize these pension plans, uh, and you and you decide that you're going to use the capital for something other than the financial return, uh, which is the fiduciary standard, um, you're setting yourself up for lower return or higher volatility or or both. Um, and, and so that is, it, it just exacerbates the problem. And, and I think it's something that really these blue states um, need to think long and hard about. It's a, it, it's not just hurting them. It's hurting all of us.
0: Well, and I think when you look at the dollars, history will show that over the last co- couple of years, whether it was TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief um, Program or whatever the P standed for, uh, and you look at COVID. These were the big major excuses. You know, I wrote a book, They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste. Mm. Uh, you should, if people are fascinated by this, you should go look at this. The, these are the types of major crises that they come our way. And then those are used as excuses to pass multi-trillion dollar bills guess what folks doesn't really go to solve the problem It goes to help bail out states and do these other things so by the tens of billions dollars were flowing to the states to help them put a band-aid on something that they created by not making difficult decisions like utah did go to a defined contribution as opposed to a defined benefit and then you know you, you have this ongoing problem yes you're listening to jason in the house we'll be back with more right after this marlo oaks utah state treasurer i have to ask you a few questions these are rapid questions they're personal questions (laughs) you this is where everybody gets into trouble so i'm just warning you it's gonna happen (laughs) i don't care how many bonds you've looked at and all that this is where we're really going to find out about what uh, marlo oaks is all about all right so what's the first concert you attended Monkeys. monkeys the monkey's
1: Yeah, All right, that's the first
0: time we've had the Monkeys. That was pretty, where were they playing? Were they like up at lagoon or where were they? Yeah, lagoon.
1: Yeah, it was a lagoon.
0: So for those of you that aren't Utahns, uh we have a place in Utah. It's sort of our how do you describe it? It's like it's our place. It's like to, an amusement park. Yeah, it's yeah. like Magic Mountain. It, it mm-hmm. you know, it's an amusement park and it's it really is fun and there are a lot of acts. Like we were talking about with my son and I, we were talking about how I I think um you know the Beach Boys used to play there back in the day, and I think Led Zeppelin f- came through there back in the day. I don't know, maybe I'm <laughs> wrong on that one. But <laughs> yeah. the Monkeys—that's a pretty good one. All right, what yeah. was your high school mascot? <laughs> the Thunderbirds. Okay, well that's better than most. You know, here in Utah we get some like you know the Beat Diggers. Makes that's a lot my of favorite. sense. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense to us here in Utah. Outside yes. of Utah, they cannot figure
1: that one out, but that's okay. I came across the Templars uh, Manti oh. High School is the Templars. I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, somebody can
0: fact check me on this, but I know it's true because back in the day when I went to high school in Arizona, we used to play down in Yuma, Arizona, and they have the Yuma Criminals. And because they have a big <laughs> federal prison there, they were the Yuma criminals, and I don't know oh if they've gosh. ever changed their name. Um, that's, that's a quick Google search, but they used to be, and maybe they still are the Yuma criminals. That's the best one I've ever heard. All right, wow. um, what was your what was your very first job? You're growing up, um, and the first job away from mom and dad. You know, I'm not talking about mowing a lawn. I'm talking about hey, I had to go report to somebody else. What was that first job? hardy's
1: right below uh campus Uh, you know right across the street from provo high school there
0: yeah so hardy's like uh burgers and fries yes good food that's all i can tell you good food (laughs) Um, what was life's most embarrassing moment
1: um i remember in elementary school i think it was like fifth grade or something and serving lunch and um i slipped. And fell, or, you know, my hands went into the beans that I was, um, <laughs> like baked beans that I was serving. And uh, it's just awful. That was really embarrassing, especially when you're a little kid.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry about that. I can tell it still yeah. sticks with you. So, yeah, those things do. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So, if you and your wife could have somebody over, you say, hey, honey, Leo, let's, uh, I get to, eat, dead or alive, who would be the one person you'd want to have? come over break bread with and 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 share a meal with one night
1: i'd say abraham lincoln i think he'd be a fascinating person to talk to oh
0: he's it's just amazing what he went through the hard decisions oh, yeah. and a member of the former house oversight i love telling that story but that story will have to stay for another day <laughs> when he was in the house of representatives on the only committee that i was on i, I they always oh, thought that was just the coolest thing uh, unique talent that nobody knows about. What can Marlo Oaks do that, like, oh, nobody knows I can do that.
1: Oh my goodness. Uh, well, I, I I can play the cello.
0: Oh, well, that's pretty impressive. That's um, that's not the easiest instrument to play, and certainly carrying it back into back and forth to either school or or to lessons. That's kind of a tough go. You're good to get on yeah. your parents.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it's been a while. I I actually. I was in Wasatch County at at their Lincoln Day dinner, and there were a couple of cellos playing. And I said, "Hey, can I can I try it out?" And so I pounded out a C major scale there. It's, it was. It's been a few years since I actually, you know, harnessed up against the uh, cello, but it, it was it was kind of nice. It was, it was All right. Fun. Well, you can balance books and play the cello. That's that
0: is talent. <laughs> okay. So that leads us to the big question this podcast always asks: Pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? Sure, why not? Oh, Marlo, you're too. <laughs> you're so liberal in your in your ability to accept anything from anywhere. That is the wrong answer, and we'll have to explain that more to you off air. But that is just definitely not the right answer. So. Jalapenos,
1: I got issues with. That's, that's a little yeah, too. I don't hot like
0: for black me. olives, I like mushrooms, but I don't like wet yeah. fruit. that's kind of where I, I draw the, the line. Fruit. <laughs> wet fruit, it just doesn't. Put it in a separate bowl. I'll eat it separately.
1: Um, Best advice you ever got Hmm. to uh, be nice to everybody. Cause you never, you can never have too many friends. Oh, that's good. See, you got parents that cared about you that's, that's a good <laughs> words
0: to live by, right? The golden rule. And yeah, yeah I think that's uh, that's good. All right. Last big, important question. Favorite menu item at Taco Bell. Oh my word. Uh, John Roberts uh, from Fox news said claims. He's never been to Taco Bell. So, I have a duty and an obligation to get with John Roberts, uh, who I did see over the weekend, but I, I gotta see him again and say, All right, John, we're going we're gonna run to the board. We're going to the bell.
1: <laughs> I, I think the my my favorite thing is the sauce, the little sauce packets.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> so, Hey, you know what? You can't I could never answer that question. I'd plead the fifth. Have you ever taken the sauce and stuffed them in your pockets and walked out of a Taco Bell? Yeah, that may have happened along the way. I'm just saying, it may have happened. Uh Marlo Oaks, the Utah State Treasurer, really helping to lead the way in kind of exposing what ESGs are and how they're affecting our everyday life, whether you realize it or not, they have an effect on us. Um, and I'm glad to see the state of Utah under your leadership uh, leading the way and exposing this, and and trying to change the way. Because if this can keeps continuing, uh, there will be increased numbers of problems. So, Marlo, thanks for joining oh, us on the Jason Laos podcast.
1: Thank you, and I, and I really do believe that this is a, an American issue. It's not a partisan issue. It, it really should be people that care. If people care about america and our american way of life our our constitution our free markets they will be against esg and and i think we're seeing the impact of esg today on the economy and and, and that's one reason big reason why is the misallocation of capital and, and inflation and all the, the, the other problems but there's more to it than that. so thank yeah, you yeah.
0: well thanks for illuminating i think it is illuminating for a lot of people that's uh, i appreciate you taking the time so marlox thanks again for joining us Take care. All right. I can't thank Marlo Oaks enough. Uh, what a what a great guy. I mean, a super talent and uh, very insightful. And, you know, we need people like that to go in and dig under the hood and uh, go figure out what's going on or not going on. And uh, this is a really important critical issue. So I want to thank Marlo Oaks again for doing that. And uh, I want to thank you for listening to Jason the House podcast. Hope you subscribe to it. Hope you rate it. Hope you... Do everything positive that you can about it. But thanks for joining us. You can go over to FoxNewsPodcast.com to learn more about other podcasts. A lot of good ones out there. And uh, I hope you're able to join us next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House.